Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was a still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, everybody. It's great to see you all here today. In case you don't know me, my name is Molly, and I'm a partner here at Anchor Bay. 
and I'm also ordained by our church's denomination for my role as a campus minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And so in that role, I have the joy of serving students at Salem State and Endicott right down the road. Um, and I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to share with you all today. Um, and so I just wanted to invite us before I, I share to take a moment and quiet our hearts so that we can prepare to hear from the Lord this morning. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather as the church. Lord, um, thank you for every person that came here this morning and those watching online. I pray that um, you be moving in their hearts, Lord, that each one of us would have a soft heart and a willingness to receive what it is that you want to teach us this morning. Um, bless this um, time, Lord. May your Holy Spirit speak through me and... May this be honoring to you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So one thing that most of you, most, pretty much all of you in this room wouldn't know about me is that I'm terrible at my sense of direction. Is anyone else bad at directions in this room? Okay, I've got a few people. Um, and this weakness of mine has led me to get lost on many occasions throughout my life. And one example that came to mind when I, was when I was 22, and I had just moved here to Massachusetts to go to seminary. And I'm a runner, and so I love exploring new places when I move there, and just like, or just go on vacations through running. And this can be a really ha like a big hazard for me if I get in the zone when I'm running and just really am so focused and I'm not paying attention, or if I don't bring my phone with me and I don't have a GPS and I just get lost. Well, both of those things happened when I had moved out to Massachusetts, like a month after I'd moved here, and I found myself at a park somewhere. I didn't know where I was, and I was kind of panicking because I didn't have my phone, and I just didn't know what I was going to do. And all of a sudden, this family walked up to me, and they said, are you Molly? And I had never seen these people in my life before, but of course I answered, well, yes, I'm Molly. And at the time, I was dating my now husband, Bryn, sitting over there. Hi, Bryn. Um, and apparently, these were people that he knew. And so when he had started dating me in the fall, he had like shown these people a picture of the girl that he started dating. So they recognized me through my picture. And so we made these connections. And then I hopped in the car with them. And they took me back home to the seminary, which was great. And so this is a beautiful example of me being lost, but then being found again. Um, and now this somewhat silly example is one of being physically lost, but this feeling can go deeper than that. It can look like feeling alone, desperate, disconnected, in pain, numb, overwhelmed. We can feel lost after that breakup, when our job isn't panning out the way that we thought it would, or when we're just really overwhelmed by the responsibilities that we have in our lives and all the challenges we may be facing. And we may even feel spiritually lost at times, wondering where God is and what the path back to him looks like. So today, I, as I share, I just wanted you to invite you to consider the following question. Where do you feel lost right now in your life, and what would coming home look like for you? So if you have your Bibles, um, I invite you to open them up with me to Luke 15, 11 through 32, the passage that 
Tina read so beautifully for us. Good job, Tina. That was a, very, a long one. So, um, and I just wanted to give you a little context um, of this passage before I dive in, because it says to illustrate the point further. So it's like, well, what was happening before that? Um, so right before that, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were complaining that Jesus was associating himself with tax collectors and sinners. And tax collectors were seen as traitors of their own people who cheated their people out of money. And then sinners um, could be people like the tax collectors or others such as like prostitutes and um, lepers and criminals and pagans, just anyone that the religious leaders thought um, did not meet their standard of moral purity. And so these religious leaders, they were appalled that Jesus was associating himself with people like that. And so in response to this critique, Jesus shared three parables or stories with them. And the first was about a lost sheep. The second one was about a lost coin. And today we're going to talk about a story about two lost sons. And so we'll walk through the three major characters in this story, the younger son, the older son, and the father, and consider how we can relate to each character and what they can teach us. So let's start first with the younger son, looking at verses 11 through 12, which say, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his, his sons. And in these first two verses, we can learn a lot already about the younger son. The main thing that stuck out to me the most was how he showed a lot of selfishness and disrespect by asking to receive his father's inheritance. We all are aware, aware of this, like children generally receive their inheritance after their parents die, and this was always the case during Jesus's time. So essentially the younger son was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have my inheritance right now. And the son, instead of staying with his father and under his loving care, he just thought he knew what was best for his life, he knew what he wanted, and he wanted to go after that. And the father is really gracious. He wanted to give his son free will. He said yes to this request, even though I'm sure it was really painful for him to do that and would have also led his family to be shamed by the community. So that's what happened. Now what happens next in our story? Verses 13 through 19 say, A few days later, this younger son, he packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And this young man, he became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to eat, and here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your servant, your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So the younger son, he gets all of his partying out of his system. He goes to this distant land, and then he just comes to this place of utter brokenness. He's starving. He's alone. He has lost whatever sense of community he had and sense of belonging. And, and he realizes this mistake, and he feels a deep sense of shame for what he had done. And maybe some of us can relate to this place and can remember a time in your own life when you felt like the younger son did. And the strongest example that comes to mind for me 
was when I was in high school and I'd strayed away from my faith. I'd made a series of poor decisions that left me feeling lonely and really low like this younger son. And this happened at a time in my life where I was really insecure and was trying to fit in with the popular crowd at school. And these insecurities, they really caused me to listen to the voices around me that were saying, hey Molly, you've got to prove yourself. And you can only be loved if you're popular and powerful and look perfect. And I really listened to those voices around me instead of listening to the voice that mattered most, which is the voice of God, which told, tells me that I'm a beloved child of his. And I thought things were going pretty well um, in that season where I'd kind of been doing things my own way. When the people that I thought were my friends, the ones that I was really trying to impress, the ones that I was listening to, they, they said some really unkind things about me and that left me feeling really hurt and alone and lost and disconnected. And I was a soccer player back in high school and my coach, she was a Young Life leader, which Young Life is a nonprofit organization that ministers to high school students and they have a lot of fun while they do so, if you see that photo right here. <laughs> um, and she'd been trying to get me to go to this Young Life event all the time um, when I played soccer. And I'd never decided to go. I was like, no, those people, I don't want to hang out with those people. But it was when I finally reached this low point that I was like, okay, I'll check, out, I'll check out this meeting and see what it's all about. And wouldn't you know it, like the day I go, the message was on true relationships and how God was really the relationship that we could always rely on and count on. And I went home that night and it just really started hitting me that I felt like I was lost and like I'd really strayed away from my spiritual home. And I remember so vividly just kneeling down by my bed and praying for God to, to forgive me and just provide me with a sense of community and people that I could connect with who were Christians and who could guide me in the right direction. And that night, it's been a long process, of course, since then, but I really began taking those first steps to return home to God like the younger son did. And again, maybe um, this story reminds you of your own examples of being lost in the past, or maybe some of you right now are, are feeling spiritually lost and, and just wondering what to do next. So while more time in this story is devoted to the younger son, I think that we have a lot to learn from the older brother as well. So I just wanted to, to take a little time with him and kind of explore the lostness that he was feeling as well. And... I want to do this because it may be the case that some of us can actually relate to the, the older um, brother better right now in this season of life. So let's dive back into the story. Verses 25 through 32 said, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and he heard dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He 
he was lost, but now he is found. So the older son in this story, he's the loyal son. He's the obedient son. He'd stayed with his father. He'd worked hard on the farm all his life. And he'd always done what he was supposed to do. He never would have dreamed of squandering his father's inheritance like his younger brother did. So when his brother comes home and, and he hears that his father is throwing his son a, a younger son a, a party, he becomes angry and he becomes resentful. Understandably so. I mean, I bet I would have reacted similarly, similarly if that happened to me. And it's so understandable. He felt like his years of hard work and obedience had gone unrecognized. Why had he never received a party like his younger brother did? Now, I'm not the oldest child in my family. I'm actually the, the baby of the family. But I've heard about how there are sometimes struggles with being like the oldest child in a family. Is anyone the oldest child or an older child? Okay, and this isn't the case for everyone, of course, but older children often can feel a sense of responsibility. They, they can feel this inner pressure to really succeed because they need to set a positive example for their younger siblings. They could also feel like their younger siblings get away with more than they do and that they get less attention than their younger siblings. And sometimes those needs of the older child can get overshadowed by the needs of the younger children, especially if the kids are really young. And I know now in this phase of life with my kids, my beautiful kids, um, the oldest, our oldest daughter is five, and the younger, almost five, and the younger two are still in diapers. So you have to like work against that tendency to like allow um, older children's needs to be overshadowed. And over time, I could really see how struggles like envy, resentment, anger, insecurity, or bitterness could pop up for older siblings like they did for the older son in our story. And even if we aren't older, Children in our family, I bet a lot of us can relate to these feelings. There can be moments in our lives where we feel like we've worked so hard and we've tried so hard, but we didn't receive what other people received. We can feel a deep sense of shame or insecurity that makes it hard to celebrate other people and celebrate their accomplishments. And that we, we worry if we don't put ourselves first, we may miss out on opportunities and experiences. And our society is one that values individual success and achievement. So it's really challenging to be selfless and generous. And we may even have experiences or past trauma that makes it really challenging to trust people and be selfless toward them. So people generally call this passage the parable of the prodigal son because the younger son's lostness was really um, outward and dramatic, and you can see it really strongly, but isn't it true that the more hidden forms of lostness that we've just been talking about can really fester within us like a slow-growing disease, and that this disease can really rob us of our joy and our capacity to love others freely? Struggles with pride and envy and resentment and even shame can grow unnoticed in us and grow so big because they're often paired with this deep desire to succeed and to do good. And it was the Pharisees in this story, the devout religious leaders, the ones that try to do everything right, that Jesus was comparing to the older son. And isn't it interesting that sometimes the most religious people in the church, we sometimes have the greatest barriers in place that really prevent us from truly coming home to God. And while I've related to the younger son a lot in my life, if I'm honest, I'm often more like the older brother. 
And I've been really, I read a book by Henry Nouwen called The Return of the Prodigal Son recently. I reread it and it just really, it really struck me. And there was a quote in this book that highlighted how Henry Nouwen really related to the older brother's lostness. And I just, I was like, wow, this is, this is true. It said, sometimes it's the most, or no, sorry. At the very moment that I want to be generous, I get caught in anger or resentment. Just as I want to be selfless, I find myself obsessed with being loved. So that really struck a chord in me. <laughs> um, and maybe it did for you as well. But um, as we've seen in this story, like the younger son and the older son, they're both lost, but they're both lost in different ways. But at the same time, they're both disconnected from their father and from community. And I love how in the story, you can see that the father, he loves his sons equally, and he longs for both of them to return home. And so I just wanted to take just a couple of minutes to, to look at the father's response to both of the sons' lostness, starting first with that scene, that beautiful scene where the younger son returns home to his father. So verses 20 to 24 say, so he returned home to his father, and, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and gave him a kiss. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, get some sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. In the book that I just uh, referenced, The Return of the Prodigal Son, Henry Nouwen writes about how he fell in love with this painting by Rembrandt. And the, the painting depicts our parable from today. And it's called The, the Return of the Prodigal Son, but Nouwen mentioned how he thought the painting could just as well have been called The Compassionate Welcome of the Father. And I totally agree with that statement because in this story, we're just given this picture of the expansive love of God and this all-encompassing com compassion and forgiveness. And even though his younger son said, hey, dad, basically, I wish you were dead, when his father sees him coming home, he just has such compassion and joy. He runs, he races to his son, he decides to plan a big party, and Killing the fattened calf, like that was a big deal because it was probably a very valuable asset to his family and he just wants like his son to have the finest clothes. He really wanted to mark this day as a special day and I'm just so struck by his immense generosity and selflessness that he showed toward his son who'd been so hurtful to him and I just, I'm struck by it. Um, and I think of the son coming home to the to father and as he races runs home, he, he comes home, he doesn't expect to, to feel this sense of welcome, but even at the sight of home, I bet he started to feel this sense of comfort and safety and security, and especially when his father um, replied, I bet he felt like he belonged again, that he was on the right path, and that he was absolutely loved no matter what. The worst thing he could have ever done, he did, um, and he came back and he experienced this welcome, I mean, just probably felt so much joy and acceptance and love, and Maybe someone in your own life has uh, shown you a similar type of unconditional love and forgiveness, even when you felt like you didn't deserve it. Um, I know that the father's response to 
his son is the type of response I hope to have with others and, and with my own children if they were ever to stray away and hurt me. But it's hard. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to show. And I also, at this point in the message, I just wanted to take a moment as well to acknowledge that for a lot of us maybe in this room, this the parent-child analogy and the sibling analogy that we've been talking about may ha be bringing up some painful memories. Maybe you've lost a parent or a child or a sibling or have a broken relationship with them or maybe you're struggling with infertility. So conversations about family can be sensitive and I just wanted to acknowledge those realities before going even further. Because um, I know for me, when I was 19, I lost my dad in a pretty tragic way. And for some time, the nature of his death really hindered me from my ability to see God as a father, which is how I had always thought of God. Um, and so over time, I did realize, though, that every earthly father will fall short, and God is really the only perfect father, this ultimate source of love and compassion that this passage points to. And this also goes for mothers, because we can also relate to God as a mother. And while this story doesn't specifically talk about the son coming home to a mother, one thing I appreciated about Henry Nouwen's book is that he highlights both the motherly and fatherly qualities of God in the painting. He notes that in the painting, the father's two hands, you can't really see it well, very well, but the two hands like, look really different from each other. The left hand appears more masculine and the right hand is more feminine. And he also notices this like red cloak that the father is wearing and how it's, it kind of is like the sheltering wings of a mother bird, which brought him to Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And the verse says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And so thinking about this story and the son coming home to a father, but also this idea of like the son coming home to, to a mother as well has been really life-giving and has expanded my view of God. I mean, considering how God can be like a mother is not something we talk about a lot in the church, but I really think we should because the passage I just read was a beautiful comparison of it. And I also love um, Isaiah 66, 13, which says, I'll comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. And in my own life, as I've been like sitting in this passage and thinking about these things, I've recently considered what it could look like to come home to the boundless love of God, who is like a mother and a father. And as we saw earlier in the, the parable, we saw that the son experienced starvation when he, he left home. And I was thinking about how I've been feeling kind of this metaphorical sense of starvation Recently, with just leading a full-time ministry, parenting kids, getting sick a million times this year, and in the spring, I really reached this point of exhaustion. I just felt so exhausted, and, and in a way, felt kind of lost because of that exhaustion. Um, and I felt like sometimes just not able to really like care for myself, and like I wanted to spend time with God, but I was so tired that I didn't necessarily know how and I don't know if you guys can relate I'm sure a lot of us have experienced like those seasons of exhaustion and then I spent some time talking to my spiritual director about it and we talked about how I was really like longing for God to be like a like a mother and a father to me someone who could really just love me and like take care of me in this season and we talked a little bit about what it could look like for me to allow God to do that and allow God to nurture me like a mother and a father would do for a child and the question for me was like, would I let God do this? Would I let God love me? And 
I'm not perfect at it yet. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. But there was one significant moment where I really took this invitation to heart. And I was leading a retreat for students in New Hampshire with other InterVarsity colleagues. And at one point during the retreat, I just started wrestling with some emotions that were really intense and overwhelming. And I, and I pulled a colleague aside and went out into a different room and just started like sobbing. And then another colleague came with me and came to me too. And they were both like, oh, they were just amazing to just meet me where I was at and really care for me and love me and pray for me. And instead of like walling myself off like I do sometimes, it was just beautiful that I actually allowed these people to, to come and care for me. And one of them is here. I'll give her a shout out, Susan. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, God's motherly and fatherly care were really shown through them in that moment. And so thinking about this coming home, right, there's always a choice to come home, a choice to allow God to love us. I mean, God always is loving us, but for us to like open ourselves to really like feel it and receive it. Um, there's that choice. And for me in that moment, my choice to come home to God was opening myself up to allow him to love me through other people. And when Luke um, talks about um, the father's interaction with the older son in our story, he also gives his son a choice to make. The story ends on a cliffhanger. We don't actually know what happens with the older brother. Everyone else had gone inside to celebrate the return of the younger son, but there's this question in our passage, it remains, Will the older son come home to his father in that spiritual sense? Or will he sit in those feelings of bitterness and resentment and pride and anger? And I really like to believe that the older son does go inside and join the party. I'd like to believe that his father's words really resonated with him. Those, those words in verse 31 that are so powerful. It says, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. This word for son, the word is, is technon in the original language, and it's this affectionate form of address, literally meaning child. And I'd like to believe that when the older son heard those words, that bitterness, the, the pride, the resentment, that it just all melted away, as he remembered that, in fact, he truly was fully loved and seen all along by his father. And I'd like to believe that he made the choice to come back home to his father where his soul would find true peace and rest. And I, I just started thinking about what could it look like for, for us to come home to God and also rest in that fact that we're beloved children, that all that God has, he offers to us freely, that we don't need to sit in those feelings of bitterness, envy, resentment, pride, shame. What would change if we began to see ourselves as God sees us? Today is Communion Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the month. And whether you relate more to the younger son or the older son in this season or both, I'm sure that we all in this space, in some way, shape, or form, may be feeling lost. And so coming to the table and receiving the elements that we'll receive in a little while, the bread, which represents the, the body of Christ, the wine, or in our case, grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ, is really a way, a practical way of coming home to God. We can come to the table with whatever we're, we're feeling, any sort of lostness or burden that we're carrying, and just really entrust ourselves to God, his unconditional love for us, and respond in gratitude for all he's done for us. And it's in these moments of coming home where 
we're then empowered to become like our God, who is like a mother and a father to us. And so a big piece in this story is, of course, relating to the younger son and the older brother, but also, like, what does it look like to become like the father as well? And I just thought these questions may be helpful to consider, um, thinking about who in our lives need us to be like a spiritual father or a mother to them during this season. Who are some people that need to know that they're loved unconditionally? Who are some people that are in pain and and just really carrying some heavy emotions like I was uh, a couple weeks ago who just need to be shown comfort? Who needs to know that they're forgiven even if they've done wrong or shown empathy and compassion even when it's not easy to do that? Maybe it's with kids or extended family, colleagues, neighbors, name whoever it is, but um, I think that that's a really powerful invitation from this passage. And one way that this invitation has played out in my life is through my role with InterVarsity. I really love this role. It's really a gift to be able to serve students in this way and to kind of be able to be like a spiritual mother to them. And it's really cool to get a front row seat and seeing students come home to God. Um, and just one year, there's a student at, at Salem State who made this decision to come home to God, and we celebrated this special day as a community by getting her a cake and celebrating. Um, and so when we come home to God, we also have this joy of coming home to a community of faith, and, and as we open up our hearts to God, we can also open up our hearts to a community, the global church, and this community can care for us and journey alongside us as we pursue our relationship with God. And I absolutely love how um, the story today ends with a big party among friends and family, because celebration is such an important part of our journey as Christians, because it reminds us of the joy and the love of God. And there are so many people in our lives and in our world who are longing for joy. And there are so many people who are feeling lost right now, and they're longing to find their spiritual homes. And so my question for us today is, as we come home to God ourselves, will we also be like a spiritual mother or father that can help guide other people home? And as we do, what could it look like to celebrate this homecoming in the community of faith? So let's pray. Um, Gracious God, thank you so much for being so compassionate and so loving, for welcoming us back home, even when we've messed up or when we've just completely ignored you. Um, God, you're just the most perfect example of, of love that we could ever look to, and, and we thank you for that. And whatever we're feeling right now, whatever form of lostness that we're feeling, I pray that for each one of us we could open up our hearts and truly come home to you to experience um, your forgiveness, your peace, your joy, your hope. And Lord, I do pray that you would empower us as we do that to be able to reach out to others, to be able to represent you, um, like this story showed us, um, to be people who are forgiving and caring and nurturing, Lord. Um, So I thank you for the ways that you're moving in this space, and I pray that you would continue to touch our hearts um, and be with us during the rest of the service. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.